Welcome to FileMaker Talk. We're live at Pause on Air. I've got with me Kevin Frank. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So you did a session yesterday called Extreme Separation Model. Was there a longer Radical title? Radical Separation. Oh, I used the wrong title. That's Radical okay. Separation. Yes. Radical, which means anything which is to the power of something else, the actual mathematical. <laughs> no, I had gotten the term from uh, Jason Young. And um, he he was sort of floating around the possibility of doing the session, and then he said he didn't want to do it. And um, I said, well, I guess I could do it. I've never blogged about separation models, so it would be fun to do a session on something I haven't already blogged about. And um, so it's so radical separation as distinct from the basic separation model. That was the other term I used. Mm-hmm. So basic separation. Mm-hmm. So. Um, That would presume some familiarity with the basic separation model. So a basic separation model maybe would be defined as uh, one file for data, one file for interface, Mm -hmm. um, you know, really nothing more than that. No, no, no. The the assumption is that you have – okay, so do you think we should just, like, define a little bit what the separation model is? I think it's a good idea. Yeah, briefly. Okay, so we are going to eventually define radical separation, but we're going to now talk about basic separation. Mm -hmm. So the standard idea – and I just threw out the most basic use case. You've got an interface file. Sometimes we call that a UI file, Mm -hmm. right? And then you have a data file. Sometimes I call that the tables file. But the the idea behind the data file is – that's where all the tables are defined. Now, I'm going to put quotation marks around the word all because there may be some metadata tables that you choose to put into the UI file. In fact, I'd be very surprised. Mm-hmm. But nothing in there is client data. That's more like if you've decided to build a table of, um, uh, like, for instance, one simple example is months where you want the, you have, you have 12 records, one per month, and you've got a serial number that equals the month number, and you've got the name of the month in the sure. month name field. Uh, yeah, static tables that don't ever change. Yeah. Uh, well, well I would still... Classic- navigation array, maybe. Maybe you've got that set up in table level. Classically. Because that yeah, anything that would be like large, like navigation, that you'd want... If you deployed the separation model where the UI file was on the device, not on the FileMaker server, yes. for example. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So base separation. But, but but okay. So that so basic separation now. So I want to point out right there may be any the basic idea is the developer owns the UI file and owns the any data in the UI file. So if you were wondering what whether to put a certain table in the UI file or the cl- or the data file, think of it that the client owns the data file, client data, and say would I cause a catastrophe if I replaced their UI file, right? Mm-hmm. And if there was any client data in the UI file, you would. Unless you imported it first, and that would destroy the purpose of separation in the first place. Although there are some amazing tools that get around that one really big advantage of the separation model, Mm -hmm. like that tool from uh, from Goya that does that. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like this totally automated importer. Refresh FM. FM. Yeah, well, that's true. It's not that you can't do imports, but it may be that your data sets, that the size of your data is unwieldy. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got five gigabytes of data. You're not going to want to casually import that, right? Five gigs, that's nothing. I've got... I've got a 20 gigabyte file on a flash drive in my pocket right now. Uh, I know, but you still might not want to take the time to do it and take the client system offline while you update their system. So yes, definitely, because you can do a UI update in 30 seconds. Absolutely. So uh, for some, pe- a lot of us got into separation because we just hit a use case where it was going to be completely unrealistic to think we were going to be able to import that amount of data. It wasn't fair to take the system offline for that long, and we wanted to have a life and not give our nights and weekends to it. Um, so 
or at least try to maintain the fiction that we had a life and weren't going to give our nights and weekends. Hey, no jokes. So, yeah. Okay. Now, I want to get back to a, a big premise of basic separation is that at future points, you will have access to the data file, probably remotely, but that you can perform surgery on it after hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a good example is, oh, so in that case, you probably throw a bunch of just reserved fields. The type doesn't matter, but reserved numbered fields in the data file, in every table, say 100 reserved fields, they could all just be calcs equal to nothing, they could all be globals, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You just throw them out there, but you number them, right? So that you can later reuse them. And so the idea is now you're back in your office working on your copy, and you're going to have some copy of the client's data file. Now, if the data is restricted, there might, not, there might only be test data in it. doesn't matter, because all you care about is having that link to their schema, the mm -hmm. schema of their data file. And then it comes time to define a new calculation, Oh, and you're not going to really pay much attention to schema changes you make in the UI file. You don't have to really track those rigorously um, unless you're doing it for your own version control because you um, are going to replace their user file, their UI file. Uh, and, um, but if you ever make a schema change to your copy of the data file, you're going to rigorously track that using whatever method you need to do to right. be rigorous. Right? Now, but I want to point out, so if you decide to define a calculation, you're not going to create a new field ever, ever, ever. You don't create new fields in your... In, in your copy of the data file because the internal ID might not match something over on theirs. You will yeah. only repurpose one of those reserved fields. And at that point, you can change its definition in your copy, make careful track, you know, keep track of what you did, right? And then you've, now you've got a little log, probably a slowly growing log of schema changes. Because, of course, with separation model, most of the changes you make are going to be in the UI file anyway. We should actually pause here for a second because you hit on something that some people might not know. Uh -huh. And that is that if you have a table called company and, you, and you've got a copy of the solution on your computer and your client has a copy on their computer and they say, I need two extra fields in the company table, mm -hmm. and you make them in their file and you make them in your file and you name them exactly the same, uh -huh. but you do them in the opposite order. Yeah. When you replace the UI file, they will be wrong. Yeah, the last and first will be reversed. Right. And so it's very important to keep track of the internal IDs and or guarantee the internal IDs will be the same. Sometimes I've right. put the internal IDs in the field names, but I don't like mm -hmm. to do that because oh, I might... Well, yes, to yeah. a certain extent, but, but the point is I don't normally really care about the internal ID. I just need it to match. I don't care what it is. Right. And if I copied and pasted that block of fields into some other table, then those IDs would be wrong. So right. there's no point in trying to namespace the IDs. I just found that wasn't worth doing. Sure. There's one other thing I throw out here before we continue, which is if this happens to you and the way that you can test for this is there's a function in FileMaker called get field ID mm -hmm. and you, another one called get Layout object attribute. I can't remember the two that you use, but you can. I, in my data viewer, I have a little um, uh, a predefined uh, line on the data viewer that looks at all of the IDs of all the fields on the current layout. Uh -huh. And so I can look at two different, I can and drop five fields onto a layout in the two copies of the file yeah. and look at it in data viewer and see if uh -huh. the IDs are the same nice. because there's kind of no other way to do that. Right. There's custom functions that can, that can help, but it comes down to the same thing. Mm -hmm. By the way, those tricks, the, all those, this is a digression, but I think it's worth making. If you rely on these design functions, they are going to take the layout name and if you don't have a layout with that name, then it will use the table occurrence name. So a great example was if I want to find, and we're talking about, I'm, I'm using a custom function from Fabrice Nordman. Mm. Um, it's called FM name ID, I think is what it's called. It's fantastic. You pass it an, a field name or a table name or a layout name, and it returns the ID. But if you pass it the ID, 
it gives you the name. So it's a two-way function. Whichever give, thing you give it, it gives you the opposite. Wow. Yeah, it's very powerful. And um, so if you use these things and say you've got a table called donors in your data file, right? And you've only got a few fields on that because let's say it's a utility layout or whatever. You just want to see a table view of your, of your data. Um, and then you run this function. And it's, it's going to prefer the fact that there's a layout called donors. So I always name my tables donors hyphen table or something. Mm-hmm. So that when I say, um, give me this field ID from donors, it will look at the table occurrence called donors. So it's a minor glitch, but um, this will trip everybody up eventually when they do this. So this, my rule is I don't name my layouts the same as my TOs. Interesting. Okay. Okay, so let's get back to, we've, I think we maybe um, finished defining basic separation. I'll just yes? say one more thing about basic separation. One of the nice things with basic separation, of course, not just the convenience of being able to get in. Right? So you've created a new calc and you, or whatever. You've defined a new field. You can also then rename your copy. And it doesn't matter if your field name matches their field name, but then later, since you get on, you're going to then name these fields differently. So as you bring them online, you'll probably uh, namespace them intelligently, okay? So, you know, 30-day aging or whatever, aging 30, right, as opposed to ZZ Reserved 17, right? Okay, so, and you can do that. And, of course, one of the reasons you'd want to do that is is, uh, well, for, for understandability, right? It's no longer a reserve field. It doesn't need to be sorted down with the reserve fields. You might as well make it a full-class citizen, first-class citizen, and, mm-hmm. and do it. And then later, if you ever did have to do some kind of matching names import, it would be nice if your field names would, of course, match, <laughs> right, for that. So, um, so, whether, so you're either going to rename your copy and their copy, or you're going to leave them both un, unrenamed. Okay. All right. So now, finally, we circle back to radical separation. So the idea behind radical separation is that once you deploy your data file, you will, in theory, never touch it again. You will not have access to it, so you can't do surgery on it later. And um, you're not going to get your hands on it later to do some kind of fancy import-export to replace it or some kind of synchronization. The, and the use case for this, of course, would be a standalone iPad mm-hmm. solution on FMGO where once you've deployed it, you might be able to send the person new UI files from time to time to roll out new functionality. Now, I always put ironic quotation marks around words like never, especially with FileMaker development. Right. Well, uh so I would say it's not like a two-week, it's not even annual, it's maybe like a two-year to five-year kind of a replacement kind of a thing. Well, and maybe it's like, well, we don't really know because we don't know what kind of disaster could come down the road, and we sure. also don't know what kind of requirements could come down the road. Maybe we need to add so many new modules to this solution, and for whatever reason, we don't want to just give them additional data files, although we could. Okay, right? so w- what's the mechanism? Uh, I-, I can see the advantage of this, and clearly the, the difference in mobile, the different requirements for mobile computing with with iPads is a good case study or a good case uh, for that. How do you do it? Well, let me just, before I get there, I want to say one other thing. As I, um, in terms of the definition of radical separation, so what does this mean if, we, if we're not going to touch it afterwards? What happens when we roll, need to roll out some new calculated fields? Right. All right. Or what happens, actually, let's not even go to calculated Don't go to calculated fields because those are a bad idea. You shouldn't really ever use them. You should use only stored fields. Sorry, I forgot. Um, <laughs> but just in case someone wanted to be really irresponsible and actually have a calculated field, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I actually want to go back to the, just the concept of reserve fields in general. Right? If we're not going to touch them later, then when we define these initial reserve fields, we're going to want a bunch of date fields. Maybe not a bunch, but let's say five per table. Or who knows, right? The, the, the true answer is more than you'll ever need. So be clairvoyant and know what your final requirements are 
you know, 20 years down the road. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so the point is define more than you'll ever need. We're going to need some date fields. We're going to need some time fields. We're going to need some time stamp fields. We're going to need text fields, number fields, container fields. What right. have I forgotten? Uh, possibly, uh, possibly some summary fields, right? And also we might need some global versions of those because we might yeah, summary fields, wintry fields. <laughs> And um, th- did that just spring from your mouth spontaneously? It did, actually. <laughs> um, so wait, 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 hold on. So I want to just say, right? So we're gonna what we're gonna do is try to define f- reserve fields, but more than that, reserve fields by type, right? And we're gonna have them out there, and clearly namespaces. Z- and I usually put zz in front of them. I want them to alphabetize at the bottom. I even have a zz underscore separator in my field defs, so I can just see where all these sort of potential fields are living, right? And so we're going to have zzresdate01, zzresdate02, right? We have a whole bunch of them for all the different types. But what's, ex- what's, what's being excluded from this conversation at the moment is calculations. So we're just talking about non-calculations fields that aren't calculations. Right. Okay. Yeah. So now, like when before, when you were talking about your reserved fields being unstored calculations or um, globals, mm-hmm. those add no weight at all to the file. Mm-hmm. I've got tables with three fields in them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to add three of extra every type of fields ever in a million years. And uh, if those fi- if those extra fields mm-hmm. have weight, because mm-hmm. every, now, every field you add to a table mm-hmm. increases the amount of time it takes to create a record in said table. Okay. If the field is indexed, it's especially if it's indexed. That's a good point, but these fields won't be indexed initially, right? They That's might true. have the potential to turn on the index. Because they're on no layout at all. Yeah. Yeah. Not referenced by anything. Right. They're not going to be indexed. Okay. They, they'll just have the potential to turn on their index when they need it. So the mechanism is not at new fields are added by a separate data file with one-to-one relationships or uh, data is added in a tricky way to the interface file that you're replacing. It's basically you're adding all the extra stuff to the spec of the data file when you give them the initial version, yes? Okay. So when you say this, we are speaking somewhat hypothetically. What we're talking about is things one could do, not things that I'm necessarily advocating everyone should do on every project, right? So I just want to be clear on that. Yes. So, So the idea is that you lay out all these reserve fields with their types, right? And you are not going to rename these later. They're just going to be what they are. But you are going to use them when you need them. Right. Of course, the field name doesn't matter. The client doesn't really see that unless they do an export or something. Or if they try to, you know, bring up a sort dialog. But regardless. Right. And besides, and I hate, I mean, obviously, these are afterthought fields. Right. These are not the things that were anticipated when the solution was rolled out. So in theory, they're they're somewhat few and far between, although over time, there could be quite a lot of them. The point is, we don't, a lot of times, we don't know with a FileMaker project where it's going to go, how much it's going to grow. Right? Sure. We've all said this thing, oh, I started out with a label maker, and before you knew it, they were running the company on it. You know, right. The first guy said, just give me something to print mail labels with, and before you know it, you're doing his inventory. Yeah, now, right. now, now I want to write this as an operating system to replace, you know. <laughs> so, okay, so let's see. So, so that's sort of a standard use case there for, for radical separation, that we will bring these fields online as we need them, but we aren't going to rename them, but they're already there. And so when we need a date field, we know there's one available in any table, right? And again... I even and I put the same amount everywhere, um, with the idea that I don't know how things are going to grow and change, and I don't want to be taking the time to make a lot of weighty decisions. Now you and I know there's some tables that we may never add a field to a simple join table, sure. right, or whatever. But even then, I just do it because I don't know where things are going. Well, I have another phrase that I use all the time, which is that 
Fields are expensive, but tables are cheap. I will add a table to a solution mm-hmm. with, with no argument. Mm-hmm. But if a customer says, I want to add a field mm-hmm. to a table that already has 100, I'll really fight them on it. Well, and I will, too, under a regular development model. But this is different. Right. Okay. So um, I'm thinking about vertical market apps that are pushed out to iPad mm-hmm. um, that are going to end up with a lot of data in the data file and that we won't end up being able to get easy access to that later. Right. As, st- as said at the beginning, in theory, with radical separation, you never touch the data file. Okay. So it's easy enough to bring online these regular fields that we've been talking about. But what would happen if you needed to define a new calculated field? If one were as rash as to want to define an unstored calculated field. There are good reasons for it. Yes, I have. So I've heard. Okay. So the question was, could we do this under that scenario? And um, I was talking many years ago, actually, uh, with Will Porter, who has a vertical market solution, um, Will Porter at Polytrope, uh, at least five years ago. He mentioned to me that he uh, pushed that he would um, leave a number of calculated fields in every table and that they would use evaluate and that they would point at a global twin field. So if he had 50 reserve fields in each table, and I don't want to put any words in his mouth, um, but so I don't know what kind of numbers he was talking about, but I do know this has worked for him, <laughs> that, uh, that he would just, so every field would have a global twin. So let's just say he, you've got reserved text calc 01, or I'll call it virtual text calc 01. He's got virtual text calc 01 underscore definition. So every field knows what the name will be of its corresponding definition. And then as he and then it and so that it would just simply be the definition of the of the regular of the calculated field would be evaluate mm-hmm. the corresponding global. Sure. Uh, there would be little to no weight in the speed of the calculation, I would imagine. Um it well it's certainly gonna be unstored. Well and, yes. Okay. So um then um so I got to thinking about that and what what how so what could we do with this, right? And I thought, well I definitely don't want to <laughs> have a whole bunch of separate globals. So I started thinking, um, I'd like to have as few moving parts on this as possible, but obviously it needs to be robust. So um, I quoted that Einstein, Albert Einstein quote, right, that a solution be, it should be as simple as possible, but no simpler, right? <laughs> and, then, um, th- and then there was also an H.L. Mencken quote, for every complex problem, there is a solution that is clear, simple, and wrong. So bearing these things in mind, um, what could we do about this? And another thing I wanted was the idea of, of creating virtual calculations using set field or some other mechanism to populate a global. Um, I didn't want to have to do a lot of fancy escaping. So if, um, you know, so if there were quotation marks inside the calculation definition, or should I say the virtual calculation definition, I didn't want to have to escape them with backslashes. And I, I just knew that could get really ugly. I wanted to be able to set up the, this, so I've got this idea. I need a new calculation. Like, here's a, here's a real simple example. I've got a table of donations. It's only got three fields in it. The amount of the donation, the foreign key of the donor, and the date. Okay. And now I've suddenly decided that I want to be able to age that and just a simple aging. I just want to count the days since that donation happened. Okay. St- uh, great, great uh, use for an unstored calc, but now it's going to be virtual. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into the, in my copy of the data file, I'm going to go to that table, I'm going to open up the data viewer and I'm going to write the calculation in the data viewer. It's a very simple calculation to do the math and to find um, the number of days. And of course I would use get as date, get current host 
timestamp, mm -hmm. not just get current date sure. there. We all do this, right? Okay. Yes, I yes. only ever use get current host timestamp. Right. Okay. And um, on a hosted environment, it gets it from the server. And if you're not, then it just pulls it off the client. There's right. no harm done. Right. right but so it's it's going to be better for the weird cases where clients' calendars are shifted. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's also going to be weird if you got a hosted solution and the server's like in another country or whatever. But anyway. Oh, that's okay. But and, and another reason to do this trick is uh, is if you ever were worried about. Um, uh, tricky employees trying to change a date for some nefarious purpose on their mm -hmm. computer. Um, oh, we'll just get that in with last month's sales. Right. It makes yeah. it much easier to analyze logs if you use it this way. So if you're looking at the log, you can find that when, I, when things actually happen from the perspective of the server, which is what really matters, but that's off topic. Right. So to recap the digression, it was just that, we're, we're, that it sounds like we both like to say, get his date, get current host timestamp rather than get current date. I actually sometimes use left words, get current host timestamp, but what, whatever. Okay. <laughs> To each his or her own. Sure. Okay. So, so getting back on topic, um, I wanted to be able to set up the definition for the virtual calc in the data viewer and then put that somewhere else. I'm going to put it into a table, and this table lives in my UI file because it's metadata. It's my data. And this table is called VC or virtual calcs. Okay. This table is very simple. It has a field for what the target table is in the data file, has a field for the name of the field that I'm about to repurpose, the, you know, just the generic names, ZZ, Res, Date, Calc, one or whatever it is, or I, I'm trying to say virtual calc now, mm -hmm. ZZ, VC, ZZ, VC, Date, one whatever. Okay. And then, so I'm then going to um, have a field in this virtual table for the syntax. And I'm going to paste into that syntax field what I just had in my data viewer. I've already debugged it in the data viewer in the, in the data file. Mm -hmm. So I know it works. Okay. I don't, even for fairly simple calcs, I don't trust myself to just write it off the top of my head without botching it. Right. So I'd rather just set it up in the data viewer, make sure it works, confirm my assumptions, you know, re repair whatever I'm missing. Well, while we're throwing out tips, I like if I'm writing a new calculation, I start it in the data viewer. Yeah. Because uh, and I usually use let functions yes. to write them. Yes. Because you can sample it as you're writing it mm -hmm. in the data viewer, and you can't do that any other way. Yeah, I I completely agree. So when you write your let function, all of your different what are those called the arguments, the first part, your yeah. your. Uh, the variables that don't have dollar right. signs, yeah. Right. Um, you can, in, at the bottom of your let statement, before when it's evaluating, you can actually get those specific values for those things to see if they're acting the way you think they are. It makes it much easier to write them. Right. I'm if, explaining it horribly. No, no, that, ma that makes perfect sense. And um, I'll just digress off your digression a little and say, lately I've been putting tildes in front of those little variables, so they really stand out. They're very clear to me what they are, what their scope is. They just jump out of whatever else I'm doing. So, um, Okay. So we've, so we've set this up, we've set up the calc syntax, we've debugged it in the data viewer, we know it works. We've put it into a field called syntax over in, in the VC table, the virtual calc table, mm -hmm. right? So the virtual calc table is then going to have one record per virtual calc. Doesn't matter what table that calc is in over in the data file. Right. Okay. And there's one more field in that table I haven't mentioned yet, and that's the field ID. Okay, and that field ID, um, I could use an auto enter calc, but right now I've just got an unstored calc in my virtual calc table, and it's using one of these. It's using Fabrice Nordman's custom function. You don't the custom functions just make it easier, right? You could definitely just write this code. Could, be, could it not be just a UUID? No, no, no. I want the internal ID oh, see, of the of the of the reserved field in whatever table it is, right? So this 
so this, this calculation can do this for me because I've already put in the name of the table and I've already put in the name of the field and I've already ensured that I don't have a layout, that I don't have a layout over in my data file with the same name, right? This is, so, this is some deep stuff here. <laughs> Why, thank you. I think, I think that's a compliment. <laughs> no, it is. It is. Okay. I mean, I, I'm, um, there's a lot of layers, but I think to solve complex problems and to make things simple, you have to use – it has to be sufficiently complex, and this is, this is sufficiently complex. And um, not, not to defeat the purpose of the podcast, but I will be blogging about this on FileMaker Hacks fairly soon. Okay, so for what that's worth. Um, so there will be a visual explanation and a demo file to go along with this. Um, now – so now we've got, these, we've got this calculation syntax set up, and of course we could have dozens of fields defined this way. So now what do we do with it, right? I said before, a virtual calc over in the data file is always going to evaluate something, mm -hmm. right? So the first thought that came to my mind um, was, well, I could use SQL over in, the, in, in these actual calculated fields to find the correct row in the VC table and pull its own definition, Right? Now let's remember a field can know its own name. Mm -hmm. Get field name self will do that. Okay? And um, there are some nuances around that I think we probably don't need to get into, but the fact is a field can know its own name if you use get field name self. Mm -hmm. So that means that SQL could execute SQL could could use some of that information from get field name. Okay. It, oh well let's just say this. Get field name returns the table name colon colon field name. Right? Sure. Except in a Container field. That's the nuance I said I wasn't oh, going to share. Okay. On a container field, it only returns the field name. So be aware of that. But, um, but for the other fields, right, we're going to say, so now that means that we could use execute SQL to find the corresponding row in the VC calc table and pull the syntax. So now it could evaluate that. So there's really very few moving parts here when mm -hmm. we think about this. Mm -hmm. um, there was only one problem. When I put it into practice, occasionally my calcs, the results would just vanish. Hmm. And I'm not sure if I just didn't follow it out far enough, if maybe I needed to tell evaluate to also tickle on a, on a local timestamp or something. Um, so a, a local modification timestamp. I, I didn't take it probably as far as I should have, but when that didn't work, I just thought, okay, I don't trust this method. I'm moving on. Okay. And um, so I think there, I, and I want to say all of this is, has been tested at the proof of concept level. Some of it's been tested in production. Um, the jury's still out on some of this stuff as far as I'm concerned. And I'm completely confident that others will take this farther and probably better than, than so far I've taken it. Maybe I've just plowed some initial furrows and other people will extend them. Well, I have to say the first thing that occurs to me is there's all this extra complexity might be more simple, simply solved by just storing the unstored calculation, the, the value, mm -hmm. in a field that's a stored field, mm -hmm. which then could be indexed if you want to, mm -hmm. and having all that done by a script using script triggers, and then you could have a script that runs like on-close or weekly or on-demand or whatever that verifies that the data is right. So like if you've got something really simple that says, let's say you never had a field in your index that was, um, um, that was A plus B in that same table. Okay. And so you at all times you always... When, you're, when you change either A or B, it always updates this new field. If you make it an unstored calc, it's perfect. It never fails. If you make it a stored field and you make it a script trigger mm -hmm. and someone imports records, mm -hmm. that doesn't run that trigger. It doesn't get set. So you have these other little routines that run mm -hmm. <clears throat> that check the math in all of these um, fields. That, to me, seems like a simpler solution. Okay. 
Well, it may be. Um, I'm not prepared to debate that because I haven't thought that through and what all the implications are on that. But if you build a demo of it, I look forward to hammering on it and getting back to you on that. Well, so it's essentially a smart publisher. You know, when I was at Pre One, we we switched all of our fields that we used to use as calculations—not uh-huh. all, but a uh-huh. huge swath—to uh-huh. this type of field, and we had these other routines that checked everything. So it's, this is in production in hundreds of places. Okay, so I'll just say this, right? That would also update the timestamp on in certain cases. In certain cases, I don't want to. Like if I'm looking at like age days on a donation, I don't want the modification timestamp. Well, it to only updates a timestamp if it actually has to correct the value, right? And that, which is almost never. Ah, okay. Well, I, maybe I think of unstored calcs as things that do change on a fairly regular basis. Yes, but they only change when the thing that references them change, which is, means you're editing the record, which means okay. the t- modification timestamp changes. Okay. It's not, it doesn't change if you edit a record in some other table. Hmm. Okay, you've got some... Yeah, I, now that I think about it... Um, so, let me think for a sec. No, I mean, there's still definitely going to reasons, be reasons when you're going to need calculations, and, and what you've outlined is beautiful. It's, it's, you've got everything abstracted from one layer to the next to the next, mm-hmm. so that... You can you can do all the normal FileMaker things and it won't break. You know this is funny. Okay, um, I'm totally prepared to talk about how far I've gone down this road. I don't think I'm prepared at the moment to think about right as you say. There would be there, well, I'm a big believer also of like don't don't you know use the proper tool at the proper place. And if you think a stored field makes sense, a stored calc or something that's just storing the value, right? Sure, I say let's do it. It's it's definitely faster in terms of fines on it later and things mm-hmm. like that. So or well, being able to make an index key out of it. Potentially downsides those people. Someone could index it, which then increases the weight of that table. Uh-huh. And yeah, right. So okay, so we have the ability to make unstored calcs where we need them. Um, I'm also trying to be clairvoyant, and I see your point, right? With, yeah, I think as I say, this this is a work in progress. So, um, but I, I want to get. Um, I think it has value, and I think we'll, we'll see places where it does get used. So I know it's going to be used in my own systems. Um, the, I also do have those regular fields that I can update with script triggers, other, you know, other reserve fields. It's just that I don't think that's the cool part of what I'm doing, so I want to talk about the cool mm-hmm. part. So, so I said the execute SQL, it didn't work, and I suddenly had, you know, I had a bunch of um, check marks that were, uh, that were conditional um, graphics, and uh, they suddenly were... They suddenly went blank one day, uh, or after I, I can't remember exactly what I'd done that made them go blank. But it, and you know I might go hours at a time with them working, but suddenly they weren't working, and they were not supposed to ever fail. So I said, okay, this isn't robust enough. And I thought, well, um, maybe I should just evaluate variables, right? What what am I going to have? So I'm evaluating something in my virtual calc in, over in my virtual calcs. What am I evaluating? Well. What if I dynamically instantiated some variables? Now I'd have to instantiate those variables in the data file so that the calcs could see them. Sure. Okay. But that's not that hard to do, right? So I had a little tiny utility script in my data file, and I would walk my virtual calc table at startup and populate some dynamically, and I say dynamically instantiated because these variables would equal the table and field name in such a way that these reserved calcs could find them since they knew, since my reserved calcs use get field name and they know their own field name, get field name self, then they would go find the corresponding global. So the problem there was once in a while I would see question marks instead of what I was supposed to see. So again, I thought, okay, there's something in the dependency tree or the lack of dependency. Um, So it's just not robust enough. The frustrating thing was it might go on for days at a time without happening. Mm -hmm. So, and again, I never got to the bottom of it. Maybe I should have just been a little smarter about how I was doing it. Okay. But I thought, what would be rock solid is I'll go back to the Will Porter method, but I don't want to have a global twin 
for every field. Right. Okay. I'm already proposing putting, you know, potentially hundreds of new fields in your system, but let's not double that. Right. Okay. Hundreds so of new fields and probably a dozen new tables, I would imagine. I haven't, you know, I haven't taken it down the road of reserved tables where the tables could be so you completely need to. abstracted. I think you really need to have many new tables uh-huh. there, there because of crazy developers like me who will add tables on the drop of a hat and, instead mm-hmm. of a new field. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I like the idea in theory. I just haven't played it out in practice to say, um, to, I, yeah, it sounds, it sounds like a great idea. And um, I haven't needed it so far. Um, but I can certainly see the, yeah, if you're going to talk about having lots of reserved fields, why not have reserved tables? And by the way, if you ever run out of fields in any given table, all you got to do is use one of the reserved tables, right. make a one-to-one relationship, shadow, shadow poof. Yeah. yeah, I love shadow tables. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, the other great thing about shadow tables, it's a way to get around record locks. When somebody goes, I have to update that value, even if that record's locked, right? Mm-hmm. right? Most recent sale date, right? Use a shadow table for that product, right? So, okay. Um, now, okay. So then we're going to um, wind up by, um, by talking about what did finally work. Mm-hmm. Okay. I said we're going to evaluate something in the virtual calcs. And so what we did was, um, what I ended up doing was um, adding one global field to every table. And that global field has 32,000 repetitions. Hmm. And by the way, when you add a global field, it doesn't matter if it is defined as one rep or 32,000 reps, the weight will be the same. In other words, the Zero. saved file size, right? Is that the maximum repetitions? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, and by the way, we identified a bug in FileMaker's help documentation where it said it was 32,767, um, uh, but it would actually would only take 32,000. I won't say it's a bug. It was, it was, it was a mistake in the, in the documentation. I reported it as a bug, and the next day it was fixed in FileMaker's online uh, documentation That's hilarious because i went to show somebody look yeah. they got it wrong and they had fixed it um okay so what i ended up doing was now at startup i walk my virtual calc table and i use set field by name because i might and, I, and then i use the field id that i already calculated and i set the corresponding repetition with the syntax in whichever global i need the global in the donors table the global in the donations table whatever table it is right because that that thing has the same name and then i do evaluate um, in the, uh, in, uh, so now I'm evaluating that global and I find the repetition that corresponds to the field ID. And, um, then I, ha- I hesitate. I, I have a feeling you're going to pounce when I say this, so I'm really afraid to say it, but Go I'm going to tell Come the on. truth. I'm going to tell the truth. <laughs> okay. Then I found there was some laziness on the, on the updating of those calcs. They were robust. I mean, they, they always return to value, but I found there's some unacceptable laziness there. So I told them since I'm using evaluate and I can, trigger on right you can you can add these optional fields to monitor to up to refresh the evaluate i put the mod timestamp in the record as as the evaluate argument Mm -hmm. so these unstored calcs are refreshing when data changes in the record that seems like a a good workaround okay i've seen i've seen that tip before as a way to sort of force things to refresh yeah okay i I thought it was actually kind of a brilliant idea so i'm not gonna pounce oh thank you i'm so (laughs) relieved um, this maybe is the geekiest, coolest podcast I think I've ever recorded. Thanks very much for your time. Well, I'm really honored to hear that. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And, and, and it was a compliment, of course. Thank you. Thank you.